Have you finished your personal statement yet? Now's the perfect time to get it professionally reviewed by a medical school HQ expert advisor. We have former directors of admissions, admissions officers, and the like on our small team of amazing people. They have the inside knowledge from reading thousands and thousands and thousands, tens, if not 100,000 personal statements going through the process and setting up the process for their whole committee. They know exactly what medical schools look for and the common red flags that can get your entire application thrown out. Take advantage of our flash sale right now, going through May 6th, up to 6,000 characters reviewed for just $150. That's a $75 discount on our regular price. Go to editmyps.com. Again, that's editmyps.com. The Pre-Med Year, session number 395. Hello, and welcome to The Pre-Med Years, where we believe that collaboration, not competition, is key to your success. I'm your host, Dr. Ryan Gray, and in this podcast, we share with you stories, encouragement, and information that you need to know to help guide you on your path to becoming a physician. Welcome to The Pre-Med Years. Thank you so much for taking some time to hang out with me today. I have an amazing guest today, a pre-med advisor, former director of admissions of a medical school out on the East Coast, an all-around awesome person, Miss Joanne Snap. She is the director of the UC Davis Health Professions Advising Office. I said pre-med advisor earlier. She does all pre-health advising and is just an all-around awesome person. Her students at UC Davis love her. And I had a conversation with her on National Pre-Med Day all about extracurricular activities, how to find them, what to do, potentially how to write about them, a little bit of everything. It comes up all of the time. And one of the things I love about Joanne is that she likes to challenge me. <laughs> on, a, on an Instagram post recently, I, I put something up there and she's like, yeah, I don't agree with this. And I'm like, cool. <laughs> like That's awesome. I love different opinions. Uh, and actually, as I'm recording this, I put out a YouTube video today basically saying, don't listen to me. I'm just relaying a lot of the information I hear. I'm integrating some of my own passions and knowledge of stories and, and other stuff. But really go out and do your own research. And if the advice that I give doesn't resonate with you, if you don't like it, guess what? There, there, There's more than one way to skin the cat. So hopefully uh, you enjoy the conversation that I have with Joanne today all about extracurricular activities. Joanne Snap. Hello. Hi, Dr. Gray. How are you? I am good. Please call me Ryan. Dr. Hi. Gray. Who's this Dr. Hi, Gray person? <laughs> so Joanne Snap, you are a very fun person that I get to talk to a lot. And we have fun conversations about pre-med advisors. You oh. are a very interesting person because you've been on both sides. Like Dr. Wright, we had on earlier. You're a former director of admissions at a medical school now on the pre-health side of things at UC Davis, running the pre-health uh, office there. Mm-hmm. Talk about, in your perspective, we, we heard Scott earlier, kind of what he liked better. What did you like better? And I, I know I've talked directly to, with you about this uh, privately, but from your perspective, why do you, or which one do you like better, being on the, the, it, the admissions side or the pre-health side of things? 
Well, they both definitely have benefits. And I, I when I was um, running the admissions office, I mean, there's a lot of power that comes with that. When you're you're the director of admissions and you walk in the room and you're wearing your suit, everyone stands up a little taller and watches what they say. And um, I used to do this really fun thing. I look pretty young and I always wore a suit to work and I would go to walk into the breakfast room on interview days. I'd take off my name tag and I would just sit down with the folks and have coffee with them and That's just so mean. They were saying, I know it was fun, but <laughs> and then they'd go, where are you from? Where are you from? And it'd get to me and I'd be like, oh, I'm, I'm the director here. And everyone's face would just turn white. Um but I really enjoy, I mean, I didn't enjoy the power. It's not what I, I liked about the job. What I liked about that job was I really like helping people as we all do. And in that role, um, because the medical school admissions process is just so convoluted and obscure and subjective, and, and there's just so much, so many issues with it. I felt like I just had a tiny, tiny piece in helping a few people, even if it was like on interview day, a student, an applicant's pants ripped. I would take her in my office and help her sew her pants back up so that she wasn't stressed. I kept suit jackets in my office in case a student showed up and didn't have a suit jacket. I would always give them a suit jacket so they didn't feel, you know, like the odd person out. And I mean, it's just those little things to help people not... Um, feel as stressed. However, what I what I didn't enjoy about that was I always felt limited because there's like a, I call it the party lines. We always had to walk the party lines in terms of what we could and couldn't say to people. And I never really felt like I could really help someone. I always had to like subscribe to that whole, the we use a holistic approach. We take everything into consideration, that kind of nonsense. And um, I actually knew what, like who got in and why they got in. And uh, I knew all those details, so I felt like on the other side, I could be honest with people and really help them get in. Yeah, it's it's interesting that that from the admissions side, a, a lot of students think that it's it's this just big giant game, and and the the admissions offices they just love sitting there going no 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 like you <laughs> like uh, the big big Roman Colosseum like thumbs down, um, and and it's it, it's interesting being on the 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 pre health side now helping students with the knowledge that you've gained to go well here's how an admissions committee may see it, right? And, and we always talk about this. So you were a director of admissions at one medical school. That doesn't mean that that every medical school is going to operate the same way and look right. at everything the same way. And even one school from year to year may change a little bit based on feedback that they're getting from students and how their class turns out. Um, as the pre-health director now at UC Davis, how are you helping students really craft who they are in this process. And and we'll use that to kind of launch into what our, our main conversation is with extracurriculars in a minute. Right. And that's very true. And I've, I've, I still try to stay very engaged with the medical school folks to learn and understand. Um, Cause a lot of it also comes down to the Dean of the school, what the mission is and the mission shift based on whatever's happening that decade. Um, so, I think figuring out, I talked to my first years about this right off the bat. As soon as college students arrive, I get them in a big room and, you know, my students joke about this, but right off the bat, the first thing I'm doing is pushing people to ask the question, who am I? And who am I as a person should drive the entire application? Because a lot of people come in and they're asking questions like, what should I do? What do I want? What, what looks better, this or this? And 
and they're just like, there's some kind of prescription that med schools, all that, all, you know, med schools are looking for this kind of applicant. And it's just like, that's honestly like the most annoying question because <laughs> nobody cares. Like nobody on this earth cares what you do with your life. Yeah. Yeah. No Literally, Joanne, I, I had someone at a conference walk up to me, not your conference, thankfully. I had someone walk up to me and say, Dr. Gray, this summer I have, I have this thing I could do or I have this thing. Which, which one should I do? I'm like, which one do you want to do? They're like, no, no, no. Which, like, which one should I do? This one or this one? And, and they're asking from like the, the same perspective you're, you're talking about is which one will look better on an application? Which yeah. one will help me get into medical school? And I said, no, like, don't think about it that way. Which one do you want to do? Which one are you going to be more passionate about? Which one are you going to wake up every morning wanting to go to do that one and literally the student got mad at me turned around and and stormed off yeah because well, i would answer there are, there are different kinds of pre-meds and there are people who get this and they understand immediately conceptually why this is so important and then there are people who cannot at this point in their developmental stage cannot understand why being authentic and true to yourself and showing the world who you are through your actions, because you can declare things about yourself all day, but what you choose to do with your time will say more about you than anything you write on that paper. So, you know, I usually ask people, how do you want the world to understand you? If you do all, if you do all the checklist things, you do research, you do clinical shadowing, you do volunteer work, you're the president of four clubs, you know, you do all those things, you're, you're similar to about 90% of the people who've applied. So you've checked off all the boxes. You look nice on paper, but what do they understand about you? That you, you're you a good pre-med, like you can follow directions well. They don't. They didn't learn anything new about you. And so I would encourage, I always encourage people to like, let's go backwards. Let's start from like birth. Let's think about who you are as a person. What matters to you? Where do you come from? What are some of the challenges you've seen in your own community? What would you like to fix? If you could fix anything in your own community, what would that be? And then what can you do while you're in college to build yourself up so that when they read your list of experiences, they have a really clear understanding that this is someone who cares about this issue, whether it be immigrant health or women's health or children or mental health, what Whatever it is that you shouldn't have to say that they could read your list and automatically they're like, wow, this person really does care a lot about that. And it can still be shadowing. It can still be all those checklist things. But the way you go about choosing what you actually do, it, it should come from within you, not from what your friends are doing or what the person behind you in class says is best or what your parents think you should do. It it should always come from what I enjoy doing. So Joanne, I hear you say that, but pre-meds are smart and they're so smart that they know that the AAMC has a list of 15 core competencies Uh and they know that AMCAS has 15 slots for the extracurriculars for those activities. Uh So obviously they should just look at each of those core competencies and do one activity that will check off each of those core competencies, right? That's all they, that's all they need to do. Is that, is that, <laughs> right? is that the smartest way to do that? Uh, <laughs> yeah. I mean, yes, there's lots of ways you could do this. Um, certainly we should, and again, I, we should always pull up those 15 core competencies and we should be aware of what schools are, are of what they're measuring in us. And if at whatever point in your journey towards medicine, you realize that you're lacking many of those competencies, then it might be a good idea to seek out experiences to build some of those competencies. Um, 
those competencies, you can do things, but if you don't possess the competencies, they're going to figure that out at some point. They're going to figure it out through the things you say on your interview day. Um, they have, they're very, you might be really smart as a pre-med, but med schools are actually pretty smart too. And they've devised some pretty, you know, creative ways to measure these things in you. MMI, situational judgment tests, all kinds of fun stuff. So um, you're probably not going to trick a med school and trick them into believing you possess competencies that you don't. I would say start, it's always going to boil down to um, the value that you bring to medicine, the value that you bring to a career. Uh, With 6,000 applications, they can create a class. They don't have to fill a class. They can pick anybody they want. So when they're looking, let's say I'm a a screener, I'm a doctor, I just got off a 36-hour shift, I'm tired, I have a wife and kids or husband and kids, whatever, and I I just, I'm sitting down, I, for whatever reason, volunteer to be on this admissions committee. (laughs) I'm looking at 40 apps at a time. I'm probably spending five minutes or less reading these apps. I'm spending those five minutes trying to figure out what this person can do for me, what this person can do for the school, what's the value that they bring. And they don't care. A busy, tired doctor who just got off a 36-hour shift doesn't care what you did. They don't care that you had the most you know, competitive research experience. What they're looking for is what can you do for me? And so it's really important when you're talking about your experiences in that section, those, those 700 characters, yeah, you only have 15 spots. So you have to be really deliberate and careful and crafty with your words so that they understand a lot of things about you. You can literally say, I did this amazing research, research experience and waste all 700 characters telling them how important it was, but they don't know anything new about you at that point, And they still don't know why they should pick you. When, when you say, what, what will you do for me? Right. What will you do for me? What will you do for our class? How are you, how will you be a good member here? Are, are you talking about what a lot of students like to focus on is, well, I'm hardworking, I'm dedicated, I'm motivated, I really love science. So therefore, that's what I'm going to do for you. What, what does that actually mean or look like? Yeah, that's like the baseline <laughs> of what someone coming into med school should do. So there are like, and this is language I use with my students, there are like baseline expectations a baseline expectation is that you're hardworking and you wouldn't have good grades in college if you were not hardworking. So we need not say that about yourself, yep. right? You have an A in science classes, you obviously worked hard. So things like empathy, compassion, working hard, dedicated. Yep. We hope you have those just like helping people. We expect that you want to help people if you're going into this. No need to say that. So instead, what are some other, what are some like more reflective, deeper, insightful things that you can bring to the table? Things like cultural humility, um, understanding how to work with different people, people different from yourself. And by work with them, I mean, actually be effective at um, increasing health outcomes. Um, do you bring uh, multiple languages to the table? Can, can you increase um, access by providing linguistically appropriate care? Uh, can you provide culturally appropriate care because you've been exposed to various cultures through whatever mechanism? Um, you know, critical thinking is important and a lot of people have it, but, you know, to what degree can you critically think and, and what, um, how have you found that to be useful in your experiences? And sometimes I think people lose touch of like the really basic human connection things. Like I know how to read people. I know how to read facial expressions. I know when someone's just smiling and nodding with me versus when a patient's actually going to take what I'm saying and go out and and follow my recommendations. Um, So it's like really boiling down, drilling down to showing people that you possess that level of insight and reflection about humanity and humans and we're in all of it. 
the more detailed you are about that and the more you say, the more likely they're going to connect with you as a physician because they already know the challenges of medicine. They know how many patients don't listen when they give recommendations. They understand what it takes to get people to do what they, you know, what they want them to do. So if you show them, I already have some degree of insight about humans, then they don't have to teach you that in med school. And probably they don't have time to teach you everything it takes to be effective in med school. So whatever you can bring to the table now, in terms of all those competencies, you're one step ahead because you already possess it. I call it the good stuff with my students. I say, <laughs> show them that you already possess the good stuff in you. So all they have to do is teach you the medical education and the training, pair that with your good stuff, and you're going to be an excellent physician. How much of the the extracurricular process, as, as students are going through this journey, looking at what they potentially should be adding to their plate, right? If they're, they're working and going to school and maybe taking care of a family and they only have a limited amount of time, uh-huh. should they be doing things potentially that's showing that good stuff? Should they be doing things that that show them like technical skills of being a physician, like, oh, look, I, I know how to do venipuncture because I was a phlebotomist. Therefore, I'm going to be a good doctor. Like what what should a student who is limited in their time, what should they be fo- focusing on the most? Yeah. Yeah. We have a lot of students who have to work for a lot of different reasons. And I, I think that if you have to work, then I would say you can do a lot. I mean, obviously I don't think technical skills are isn't like really what med schools are measuring in you. I don't think the fact that you can do a lot of very technical medical procedures, um, are, are the thing. I think that I have heard a lot of physicians say that they wish every pre-med could be a scribe at some point, just because of the medical terminology and sort of like the critical thinking that goes into that. Um, but I mean, I think if you had limited time, I would try to do something that allows you to a get a really good sense of what you're getting yourself into. So um, if you can be near a hospital or a a clinic or something that you can just see the day to day work of a physician. So you have, like I said, a better sense um, of, of the career. I would say anything where you can still interact with humans is great, even if it's not medical, um, you know, anything in I always joke about this student um, that I remember was admitted. She was admitted because she was a tattoo artist. And and people are like, why would someone pick a tattoo artist over a phlebotomist? And it didn't, I mean, it didn't really matter, right? It's a technical skill. She literally was doing using manual dexterity in her job. But it was it was the way she interacted with people. It was it was that human interaction part that got her in her communication skills. So it really doesn't matter what it is that you do as long as it's like you're you're showing that you're good at doing what it takes, like the transferable skills. You're yeah. gonna whatever you can do, you can apply to medicine. Let's talk about extracurriculars and and I have this discussion a lot uh, with with very various people. And the the conversation around, I enjoy soccer, right? It's an example I used earlier. I enjoy soccer. I want to go coach a a kid's soccer team. And uh, some people say I shouldn't do that because it has nothing to do with medicine. What what are your thoughts on on those things that maybe are a little bit more personal, more passion-based and not necessarily, this is going to prove that I'm going to be an amazing physician? I think you know what I'm going to say about this. (laughs) I hope so. (laughs) So I think that um, I I say, this is a phrase I use at at Davis, your current job should not negate your current happiness. So you should not have to give up doing things that you enjoy and love 
because you want to be a doctor. If you have to stop doing things you love in order to be a doctor, I think that's sad and that's problematic, honestly. So if you love soccer, if you play the piano, if you play the guitar, whatever it is, something you love, let's figure out how you can take that thing that you love and give it to others because it is a service career. You are giving your time, a lot of time to others. So let's figure out how you can show them that you're now willing to do that. You're willing to do community service uh, or even get paid. It doesn't matter. You're willing to help other people um, and still do something that you love. I don't think that we should sacrifice what we love in this effort to become a doctor. So 100%, I tell people all the time, if you love soccer, basketball, whatever it is, go become a coach. Because honestly, if you're coaching a group of eight-year-old girls, the attributes that you're using you have to have patience. You have to be a leader and they're all over the place. You have to have good communication skills. Uh, you have to have patience. I mean, there are just, there's so many transferable skills in just that one activity. Uh, I talk about if you play the piano, go to an assisted living facility and offer to play piano in the lobby or go to a low income community and offer free piano lessons to kids. Do something with your talent to help other people. Yeah. Thousand percent for the students out there. You mentioned at UC Davis, a lot of the students are are needing to work at some point. A lot of non traditional students who are are working, coming back into this career uh, at a different point in their life. Maybe with, they have a family, and they they just don't have the time to fill out all 15 spots on the AMCAS application. What's your general recommendation for students who aren't going to fill out all 15 slots? Should they make stuff up and fluff up their application so all 15 are filled out? Is it okay to have six really good ones? What's what's a cutoff for you, do you think? Well, and I, I also think that everyone should have at least one hobby on their application, on their experiences list. So hopefully, even in your busy life, you can, you can carve out one hobby to do. Um, age only makes someone a stronger applicant. So the more life experience they have, if they're married, they have kids, they've been out of school for 10 years, that only makes them stronger. So at that point, I mean, maybe they stayed in the same job for 10 years or five years or whatever it is. And so they haven't had a ton of different positions. So they might have less experiences, but that that value is still there because of the years, the duration. And so what what's kind of terrible about that is you only still have 700 characters for one description. So what you might think about is over the course of that time frame, has your title within that position changed? Have you been um, promoted over the years? And if so, you might consider breaking out those different titles as different experience sections so that it still appears like you have had multiple roles just at the same institution. Mm-hmm. And so I, I will, you know, I think most people have around 10 experiences. I, I think that's a decent number to have. But if you bring age and maturity and all this value in other ways, then, you know, I, all I could say to someone is like, try not to get hung up on those little details. Like, don't compare yourself to other people and say, well, all these, you know, 6,000 pre-meds, they have, te- they have 15 experiences and I only have seven. At the end of the day, like that kind of stuff doesn't matter. Someone's screening an app. Again, picture that tired doctor who just got off shift 36 hours or say there. Are they going to be sitting there thinking this is like a, a doctor? Oh, man, this person only has six experiences. There's no way they're going to make a good doctor one day. Let's just keep going. Yeah. Like that makes no logical sense. That's not rational. So try to like humanize this a little bit and remember that you're going to have a person reading this and this person's going to see everything that you did in your life. And they're going to take that into consideration. They're not going to have like these kind of arbitrary standards of 15 versus six, six, six experiences. And that somehow makes someone a better future doctor. Yeah. I, I think 
a lot of students think it's so black and white that, that, that and they forget that these are human beings on the other side reading these applications who can take into account, oh, okay, you're a non-traditional student. You have a family. Therefore, I understand as the reviewer that that your ability to do other things is going to be limited. And yep. I'm going to take that into account. Perfectly fine. I got it. Right. That that doesn't mean you're going to be less of a doctor or you're, you're not going to be right. a good one. So, And that's why I tell people to make sure they list every single job that they had, even if it's like working at Subway or working at, you know, as a lifeguard in the summer, every single job, even if it's not relevant to medicine, because they want to know what you did with your time. Yeah. And if you don't, and a lot of people, I think sometimes people feel ashamed to list those kinds of like not random jobs that aren't related to pre-med, but if you don't list the job, it just looks like they won't know what you did with your time. And so if you don't, I have made time TikToks, all- Joanne, I made TikToks all day long. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> oh. So one, one thing that I, I want to make sure we cover because it students struggle with this, I think a lot and, and maybe they overthink it or, or uh, at whatever you, I want to hear your, your thought process is AMCAS specifically. And, and now TMDSAS does as well, allows you to mark most meaningful experiences. And I've heard from students who have gone to like uh, open houses at schools in the school, the medical school will specifically say, mark this one as a, as a most meaningful mark, this one as a most meaningful. And I'm like, that kind of defeats in, in my mind, it kind of defeats the whole purpose of what I'm telling you is most meaningful to me as a person in my life. How do you give that advice to students about what to mark as most meaningful? So the, the actual prompt in that 1325 character section is what was it? What is the transformative nature of this experience? Which is how did this change you? So I always tell people, you should answer that question. How did this experience change me? In your personal statement, you're talking about how you impacted the change at whatever organization. And here you're talking about how this organization impacted you. And I would try to highlight a very specific um, growth that obviously parallels with a value that they have. So you know, in picking your meaningful, I would, I always go back to like, which ones impacted you the most. And if you, you know, if you did research, but you hated it and you only did it to check off a box. And honestly, you're, you were just counting down the days till it was over. That's probably not a good idea to put as your meaningful experience, just because you think med schools want to see research. Because if you put that and you get to your interview and then they think that was meaningful and they ask you about your research and then you kind of have like a ho-hum answer about it. Now they think that you don't do things you're passionate about. And that's far worse than not caring about research to begin with. Yeah. Yeah. The the prompt doesn't specifically mention how is this most meaningful to you and your journey to being a physician? It's just most meaningful. And, and so students who maybe were, were, yeah, former athletes or, 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 or athlete in college, whatever, a lot of them, I, I've seen them not mark that as the most meaningful, even though they spent their whole life yeah. playing tennis or playing baseball, whatever it is. I'm like, how is that not most meaningful? They're like, well, I, it doesn't show blah, blah, blah. I'm like, but, but that is, and so student, it, it changes them. And so students will ask me, and I'm sure they ask you all the time, or they, they post in Facebook or Instagram, wherever is like, I have these four things that I'm trying to decide which would be most meaningful, right? It's the same, like, which EC should I do? Which activity should I do? Which most meaningful should I pick? And and the response is always, I can't pick what's most meaningful for you. Yeah. You have to decide for you. How do you yeah. have students who are maybe between four or five activities, how are they picking the ones, if, if maybe all of them are equally meaningful? Yeah, so I say, um, what I say is, if you, if you want the world to understand you in a certain way, which 
like, let's go through and let's think about which, ex- what do these experiences say about you? Like make them kind of right, like right out next to the experience. What does the world understand about you after reading this description? And then you'll see very clearly, this is what I want them to understand about me. Now, which ones are most important to you? Which things would you want the world to understand the most about you based on who you are as a person? So we have to be really, really deliberate about how we help the world understand who we are as a person. And that's how we craft our writing um, and our deliberate decisions, like our meaningful experiences. I, I hope that we do this authentically and we're choosing things. I mean, if we've done this whole process authentically, we would have chosen to do activities that do connect back to us. So choosing three meaningful shouldn't be hard because, well, probably they were all meaningful to you. So now it's just a matter of like, which ones are the most reflective of who I am as a person? I think the the conversation that we've had really hopefully highlights to students watching this, listening to it in the future, it, transplanted in their head, however, however these messages get, get relayed in the future, um, that it's, it's not about what you did, right? It's about why you did it and, and who it made you, uh-huh. yes. who, who it made you be, I what's the right language, right? Who, who it made you, who, who it formed you into. And, and, yeah. and, the, and the, the language that I typically use is, is how did you impact the position and how did that position impact you? Right. A lot of, a lot of the meaning behind it and not just, I did this, I did this, I did this, I did this. See, I'm going to be a good doctor. You should accept me. Yeah, absolutely. I I tell people that you will never get into med school based on what you did. You're going to get into med school based on what's in your head. And it's not just that you do. You don't get to get picked because you were lucky enough to get this really amazing experience. Um, You have to be able to reflect on it and share your insight and share what you learned about it. Like you have to bring something to the table. Just doing stuff doesn't make you a better future doctor than someone else. It can't be that basic. Yeah. For uh, the last couple of minutes here, before we kick you over to the Q&A room where students can can go deeper with you, uh, COVID obviously has impacted everyone's life, especially pre-med students who were banking on shadowing right now, getting clinical experience right now. What's your general message for, for your students who, who haven't been able to do a bunch, whether they're applying this cycle or next cycle, how that's going to affect their applications? Yeah. First of all, I I just, I encourage them to, I mean, I, I let them know that, you know, everyone is in the same boat right now. And I don't think that individuals are going to be as affected by this because when, when it happens, when anything happens to the masses, then the med schools are going to be forced to change the way that they do things, the way they see things and the expectations will change. And so Nobody's disadvantaged at this point. Now, I understand people feel a really strong desire, urge to want to do something because none of us like sitting still. So um, some things I've encouraged people to look into in their region, uh, looking at crisis hotlines. Um, a lot of students students have recently been um, trained and hired to be, there are like crisis hotlines where you can text people. Mm-hmm. Um, you could look to see if there are, are, are any sort of like online training programs as like CNAs or um, anything you can do online if you can afford it to like just continue building on yourself. If there are online certification programs, just anything to keep building your credentials and your knowledge um, is always a good thing. Stay engaged, read a lot of books. 
Um, all of that stuff and try to do, you could do informational interviews. So if you can't shadow someone, reach out to a physician and say, can I sit down with you for half an hour and ask you some questions about your, you know, the career challenges in medicine and just pick your brain and, and just try to do these informational interviews with physicians just to gain more insight. Um, you can always talk about those informational interviews when you go to apply to those institutions and say, I met with Dr. So-and-so. He shared really great insight about your, your school. Um, so try to use this time that you have to, to build yourself and, and the way that you can right now, which is your mind, um, because we can't go out and do too much. Yeah. Well, Joanne Snap, pre-health advisor extraordinaire at UC Davis. Uh, I respect you so much as an advisor. Your students love you. Um, I appreciate you. Thank you for for joining us here on National yeah. Pre-Med Day. And I, I hope some students go follow you over to the Q&A room so that they can uh, dive a little bit deeper with you. All right, there you have it again, Joanne Snap. Now, Joanne also runs the annual pre-health conference at UC Davis. Now, unfortunately, with COVID, that conference, which is typically in October, has already been canceled and moved to a virtual event. That makes it awesome because last year they sold out of tickets. This year, I, I don't know what the platform they're using. I don't even know if they know yet. But the tickets will be free, attendance will be free, and you don't have to pay to come and travel to Northern California up to Davis, which is right outside of Sacramento, if you don't know. Uh, you don't have to come and and spend the money and resources to get out there. And so now it's open up to everyone, and hopefully the resources will help you on your journey. If you go, if you just Google how I get to the site every time, if you just Google UC Davis pre-health conference, the, the, the Google juice will take you to the right website. And I don't think the, as I'm looking at it right now, not, uh, the, the specific information about what is going on isn't out yet, but keep checking back on their social media. They're, they're active on Facebook. Uh, uh, they have a great Facebook page where they post stuff. Uh, check that out and keep checking out the website and sign up when you can if you want to attend. I highly recommend it. And then hopefully next year for 2021, it'll be back in person. And if you can make it, I highly recommend it. There's just something about being around so many other pre-health students, pre-med students the, the energy there is just awesome. So check it out. I hope you enjoyed our episode today. I hope you have a great week. Hope you're staying safe. And I will see you next week here on The Pre-Med Years. This is MedEd Media.